Good morning, Crossway. It's good to be with you this Sunday morning. Um, I want to give a special um, thank you for having me and specifically um, a prayer for those who have been kind of affected this last week. It's been a crazy 2020 year. Um, and um, even as we dive into our text in, in Luke chapter 2, um, I'm sure a lot of us are in a season of waiting, um, a season of waiting, um, specifically kind of waiting for, um, I guess, the end of this season that we're in, this pandemic for sure. Um, for some of us, it may even be, um, just personally, it's like even hard to define um, the beginning and the end of whatever this season is for you. Um, maybe even for those of us uh, trying to, you know, look, have things to look forward to, like sports teams and their successes. Some of us, um, we've already seen some of the playoffs and all the good news for Lakers and Dodgers fans. Um, but waiting for the end, for some of us, uh, like our Clippers fans at our church, waiting for the end of an era, right? Um, waiting for, um, in some ways, for something to come to an end and to give birth to something new. Um, something that has been a longing for a long time. And in our passage this morning, um, we are introduced to two new characters named Simeon and Anna. Um, they are those who are likewise waiting. Um, it says in our text that Simeon is waiting and longing for comfort. Um, this ordinary average man named Simeon and ordinary average woman named Anna, both righteous according to our text, both very simple, but both waiting for the day of comfort, of consolation, and redemption. And uh, along with last week's characters, the shepherds, they kind of form this collective testimony of ordinary people praising and looking forward in anticipation of this baby boy named Jesus who would be the Savior of the world. If you remember last week, the shepherds, they're approached at night by an angel that tells them this crazy announcement, right? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And all of a sudden, thousands of angels come and they praise. This is happening at night. It's probably waking up people. It's not meant to be like some kept completely in the dark. And then they tell them that this baby would be wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. And this praise is given to him for the peace that he would usher in with his arrival. And so the shepherds, they're all hyped. They're super excited. They're like, all right, we got to look for this baby now. So they go in the middle of the night. They find Mary and Joseph, not sure how, in the manger, just as the shepherds um, were told they would find him. And they tell Mary and Joseph all that had been um, said and declared by the angels, and we ended our um, message last week talking about how Mary kind of just took this all in. She treasured it in her heart, and our text even says that she pondered what the significance and the implications of it were. And we get to our text this morning, and we're introduced, right? We're introduced to Simeon. There is this, um, picking it up in verse 25, it says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. And here's that idea of waiting. Waiting for the consolation or the translation comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen 
the Lord's Christ. Simple man, a layman, he is not um, a priest or a religious authority. Um, we actually don't know a whole lot as, about Simeon other than what is revealed in the text is not his vocation, but his spiritual condition. He's righteous, he's devout, he's waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was so much upon him that it even led him to the temple to be in this right place at this right time. So we see in Simeon a God-fearing man. So there's that one character we just, you know, read about. We're going to read another one, and we're going to... It actually comes towards the end of our text, right, with Anna in verse 36. She's going to be the second person, um, and in the middle is where we're going to land our plane this morning. But... Anna in verse 36 is described as this, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, translation, she really, really old, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. It's probably got married in, and that's time it was pretty easy or common to be married around 15. So she, um, having been married to him for seven years, and then as a widow until she was 84, so we can conclude, like, she had been widowed for 60-something years, right? She did not choose to remarry. It said here in verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were there, who were likewise waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Right, in Luke chapter 2, right, we got the shepherds, we got Simeon, we got Anna. They kind of compile this collective testimony from witnesses that are very ordinary. They're not religious authorities. All these types of people testify to Jesus. The simple folk of the field, the devout men of the city, the pious women of the city. And they have all come in this temple complex to point to the Savior to come. This idea of waiting, this idea of waiting, um, it comes actually from the book of Isaiah. I'm going to do a lot of Isaiah verses this morning, so um, bear with me a little bit. But this idea of waiting, in a lot of ways, can't, comes from the amount of time that they've been waiting for. Right? And Isaiah 40, verse 1, this is when the book of Isaiah takes a turn from 39 chapters of challenge moving now to assurance and comfort. And it begins with these two words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord, from the Lord's hand, double pardon for all her sins. In Isaiah 49, 13, likewise, it says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. That's heaven and earth, that's everybody, right? Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. And lastly, in Isaiah 51.3, it says, For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. And so from the shepherds to Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna, we see these modest, righteous people beholding the holy privilege of being in the presence of the Savior. And specifically with Simeon and Anna, we see this waiting for God's promise of comfort. 
And Simeon, even more specifically, in verse 26, it says that it, will ha that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so tracking so far, so like, they've been waiting for a really long time, waiting for the end of all this mess and for things to finally start to take a turn, much in the same way that I am looking forward to the announcement one day that the pandemic is cured. It will be like the closest thing to some announcement of good news that affects everybody that we've heard in a long time. And Simeon and Anna are waiting for that. And Simeon gets this promise by the Holy Spirit that he's going to see the fulfillment of that longing in his midst before he dies. So in verse 27, right, this is all happening in the temple, right? Simeon comes in the Spirit into the temple complex, this huge place of worship, right? And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, right, they have come to dedicate their child, they have come to purify Mary after giving birth. Simeon took up Jesus in his arms, as the text says, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. It's kind of a crazy scene that this stranger, like this would not happen in 2020, where a stranger picks up your baby, like just in the middle of you trying to do worship. Like it just, it's kind of a no-no. Like you don't do that. It would not go well for a live service for us, right? But Simeon does this and he proclaims these profound words. And he says, I can die in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared for all people. And the big point he's saying is this, that Jesus, this baby boy, will be revelation, will be revealing who God is for all people. That's including the Gentiles, that's including the unchurched, that's including to their eyes the heathen or the pagan or whatever translation you want to come up with. The person who did not grow up with this, did not desire this, the person who is as lost as they come, he is saying the good news of the salvation is that a light for revelation will come for all the peoples of the earth. In Isaiah 49.6, it says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He's talking to his people, God, here. And he says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation shall reach to the end of the earth. And the point is that this king and his kingdom will not just be for a specific type of people. It will not be limited to an insider, inclusive group. It will be open for all people, literally from all ethnicities and races and languages and tongues, all people from rich and poor, as we've even seen here, mostly poor people so far. It will be for all kinds of people. It will be an open door. And it... This shouldn't really come as a surprise necessarily to the people of God. This was God's original intention all the way back, right? If you were to take your Bible reading beginning in Genesis 1 to 11 about 
God creating the world in perfection and beauty and calling it very, very, very amazingly good. And then all the things that people did to jack that up, mess it up, fracture everything. All the relationships are broken. Murder is introduced. Painful work is introduced. Labor pains and childbirth. Infighting between husband and wife. Creation itself being broken and fractured. God's response in Genesis 12 was to redeem and restore all creation back to himself and bring it back to the Garden of Eden. That it was going to be his chosen people in Abraham, in his seed, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. But God's people, Israel, instead of imaging or portraying or displaying God's goodness and grace and favor to the nations, they instead worshiped the gods of the other nations. They lost who they were as a people. They went astray as sheep without a shepherd. And they chased the idols and false gods of the world instead of showing them the beauty and splendor of God. All right? That's the story of the Bible. It's the story of the Bible. And the good news and the light for revelation that Simeon's talking about here is that good news has arrived where Israel has failed, where we have fallen short of the glory of God. There is coming a king who will not. But all the kings before him right? From all the kings you can't remember and pronounce to David, to Solomon, to Saul, all of them falling miserably short, even David, the greatest of them, falling miserably short. This baby boy will usher in a kingdom that will not fail. He will perfectly image the invisible God to all of creation. He will be that light for revelation to all and a glorious fulfillment of all that God's people were supposed to be. He will succeed where we fail. Um, theologically, it's been said that he is the better, truer Israel. Right? If you want to know what God is like, and it, it, in the Bible it is crystal clear, right? That if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. There is intention by our God that he sent his son into the world and put on human flesh so that human beings, fallen as we are, flawed as we are, prideful as we are, that we can understand and see, oh, that's what God is like. Through the Son, through the revelation that He has come to bring. And maybe this is a word for, I think some of us this morning are going to have to hear that this light for revelation is for all people, and how that applies is like it's not meant for just a special class of people. Many times as like, you know, as someone, I guess, who's been through the seminary training, um, kind of gotten used to people calling me pastor and stuff, like, there is still like this idea sometimes, and they don't, the, the main heart of why I even wanted to be a pastor, the main heart of why I think many of us even want to is because we realized how average and how ordinary we were, that there's nothing necessarily inherently special about any of us on staff, but that God met us anyway. And as ordinary, as average as we are, like my testimony, I'm not someone who came from the craziest of circumstances. I was born in the church, you know, mom was in the choir, dad was a deacon, I did a whole thing. And then Ephesians 2.13 said that Christ came for those who are far off. And I believe that this text is saying that, he, that God has come in his son Jesus for all people 
And that's for people who have even disqualified themselves from getting that close. It's people who think, I can be in church, but I can't really be that close. I can't be that involved. I can't really be that engaged with his word. That's for, that's for the specialist. That's for the expert. No. The revelation is for all people. And don't sell yourself short. Matter of fact, don't sell the gospel too short to believe that. Um, I think it's meant to land on you. And so, it's good news for all people. And so Simeon says this in the temple. Remember, he's holding baby Jesus when he does it. And Mary and Joseph, look at their response in verse 33. And his father and his mother, what was their response? Marveling. They marveled at what was said about him. My baby boy is going to be a revelation for all peoples. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, and this is so key, behold, pay attention to this, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As one commentator said, Jesus is the promised child who represents God's coming salvation to Israel and the nations. However, the first ominous note also comes, that Jesus will divide Israel. There are promise and fulfillment, but not all is good. Jesus is forcing choices, and as a result, some will fall rather than rise. Now, this is the part of the text and the message. You don't really want to put a damper down like, This is supposed to be good news for all people. And in a lot of ways, we've been kind of building off of all this anticipation, not only from the Old Testament, from the first couple chapters in Luke, right? That good news is coming, a salvation, a savior is coming, a king and his kingdom that will last forever and undo all that went wrong when sin entered the world. But here's the thing about the second part of this message, right? Jesus has come to be a revelation of God for all people. That's the first point. But the second point is, Jesus has come as a revelation of human hearts. He will expose or bring what's been stored underneath to the surface, right? He is appointed for the fall, right? The lowering. Mary talked about this in Luke chapter 1 in her Magnificat, right? He is appointed for the fall and the rising of many, right? the exalting and the humbling of many. This is indeed like amazing news for all people, but it will come with the force of a choice. Likening to this imagery of light, Jesus will either give welcome to vision, right? He will be kind of like that, that light that you need um, on a camping trip and it's pitch black and you need to go to the bathroom. He'll be like that very welcome help and need and vision, or he will be a disturbance in the same way that when you wake up in the morning and the lights go on, boom, you just like turn that off. Jesus will either give welcome vision or he will expose darkened hearts that reject him. He will either bring comfort, as many people looked for, or he will bring disturbance. Right? And Isaiah, this is the last Isaiah. I don't know why I'm loving Isaiah this morning, but in Isaiah 8.14, it said that the Lord will become two things. He will be a sanctuary. 
this idea of God's provision for sinful people to approach him, right? A safety for sinners, but he will also be a stone of offense. My implication on there is that people will not love this same God. Jesus' ministry is going to bring light to the darkness, and that light will have two effects. It will illuminate or it will be a jarring shock to the eyes that prefers the light stay off. And it's our tendency, um, I don't know if I could say this as the church, it's our tendency, I guess in human history really, to always take these parts of Jesus that we love and we like and functionally kind of ignore the parts that are a little bit more, you know, kind of rub against that idea. In 2020, we would very much like to gravitate to the comfort, the love of God in such a way that he always affirms what we want. He always gives what we want. He always listens and agrees with what we say. He, but, you know, in the scriptures, God's love is not just like this, a yes man type of love. In the scriptures, God's love is a holy love. It's a love that confronts. It's a love that presses in when things get messy. And Jesus is going to bring these two responses. He's going to be a light to the nations, but he's also going to be a sign of opposition. And I think this is honestly why, in a lot of ways, for some of us, you know, we, some of us maybe who feel like in this season, this pandemic, where God is far, where Jesus and our relationship is kind of like teeter-tottering, it's like kind of fading slowly, Um, In a lot of ways, there is grace for sure. There is a comfort that you need to hear from God's word, that you are never too far. But I also think there's something in us that there's a reason why we don't read. And there's a reason why we don't want to take time to pray. There's a reason why we do busy ourselves with another project or another something, 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 to keep our minds, to keep our souls fixed on something without dealing with root issues that God lovingly wants to bring to the surface, the thoughts of our hearts that he wants to bring up and reveal. I mean, I've pointed this out to the youth before. There's a YouTube video of a comedian who, you know, he's kind of like, comes, kind of comes off as the old guy that just hates technology a little bit. But he's really funny. Um, and he says that he's just kind of like lamenting on this idea of how we can't stand more than two minutes without being off of the screen whether it be a phone or a video or a movie, we can't dwell, he says, right? I don't remember his name. He says, we can't even sit in a moment just with the weight of our sadness at times, of just facing and dealing with and confronting what's really going on. So that's why we just do this. We have to learn a new thing, pick up a new hobby, or pick on a new project or move on to something else in our life that will force us never to confront those things. And I think... I don't, I don't think this is just a tangent. I think that God lovingly, and the nature of who Jesus is, lovingly wants to confront. Yes, the salvation of God has been, that God has been preparing is finally here. It is indeed worthy of celebration, but with his coming will not be celebration for all. Some people are going to oppose it. And that's the crazy thing about this text. Simeon is saying, it's good news but this is going to be hard news. And he's saying this to Jesus' mother, Mary. You have to track kind of Mary's journey through all this. I mean, we, 
it's kind of known by scholars or guessed by scholars that Mary is probably like 14, which is normal in ancient Eastern culture, right? And she's been approached by an angel, Gabriel, told that she's going to have a son who's going to inherit and fulfill this everlasting kingdom, fix everything that's wrong with the world, right? Her relative Elizabeth, you know, sees her and is like, he calls her baby in the womb, Lord. Zechariah is proclaiming all through the neighborhood that Mary's son will be proof that God remembers his people. He's visited, he's redeemed his people. Everything from Abraham to the prophets to David. The shepherds are telling, the, telling, them, telling Mary that the angels came and proclaimed this announcement. And here is Mary taking in all this stuff after having pondered it and it molded over in her heart. She's now hearing through the mouth of Simeon, this stranger to her, that her son would not only bring wonder in all of God's provision, but he would also bring division and disturbance. He would bring revelation, but he would bring challenge. Though her son would be reason for good news of great joy for all people, he would also be reason for much personal pain in her own life. In verse 35 there, it says, A sword will pierce through your own soul also. It's directed at Mary. That her son and his calling, his journey, ultimately to the cross to save the world, will be devastatingly painful for her. This light that has come into the world, the salvation, will either give welcome to vision or it will expose darkness that rejects it. And Mary, man, I don't know how we would deal with that, taking all that in. I guess we're going to find out in the next coming chapters. But our text this morning, after that, ends with Anna coming in, right? Anna coming in. And she, being a widow for probably more than six decades, fasting and praying every night in the temple, comes up at that hour, and she begins to give thanks to God, having, having heard all of this, and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And today we've heard this testimony of very simple people, people who are walking with the Lord, righteous, God-fearing people. They point to this type of ministry Jesus will have. He will have a ministry that brings much-needed comfort, but also one that will bring disturbance. I pray that this morning, wherever this lands, that Jesus will be a light for revelation, that he would, that you would draw near to the image of the invisible God, the one who is faithful, who has come to save us from ourselves and to restore us back into who God created us to be. And whether you're someone who disqualifies yourself or thinks, "Ah, I'm just the average guy, I'm just the average girl in church, maybe you should hear, no, like, this message is for you. In Christ, he has said in multiple Paul's letters that he seats you in a higher place than you would ever dare to sit. And, And in your uneasiness with that, the greatest thing you can do is humbly receive his gift. You're not going to be like, <laughs> when someone goes out of their way to pay for something at great cost, you don't just throw it away. And the scriptures say that he has seated us with him in Ephesians 2. 
don't disqualify yourself and say, I'm too average. But may this also be a message that invites us to see that Jesus is after our hearts and he's meaning to reveal and bring to surface things that are in the end not satisfying, in the end that are taking us away from him, in the end that are taking us away from the joy that he has for us even in these first couple of chapters. May every heart that hears prepare and give him space to do that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for... Um, Jesus, that he is the light of the world. He has come to give light in lands of deep darkness, lands that formerly had dominions, had dominion on them, dominions of darkness. He's come to be a light. He's come to expose and bring to the surface things that are not of you and things that take life away. And he's come to do that because he loves us deeply. I pray, God, that for those of us this morning, we would hear the good news that he is for indeed all people, not just a certain type, that we would hear that he is good news and he has so much more in store for us. And I pray also for those of us who maybe just need to hear a word of repentance where Jesus is challenging us and is going after our heart and we've been putting him off for too long. May we hear his invitation that there's better life in him. Pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.